Well, good morning. Um, like he said, my name is Sarah Beth Richter. Um, I'm on staff here. I usually sit in the back, so if we haven't met, that's probably why. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I appreciate when people come back and talk to me. Or just not, that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> great. So today I was um, asked to speak on identity. And let me tell you, it's been a week. Like, not a bad week, a really good week. We had Science and Wonders Camp. Um, and somehow I got roped into like spending the night out there and camping with a bunch of like elementary and middle schoolers. It was fun. We had a good time, right? Nice. Hopefully. Um, but it was really good. It was just like a, a, a week full of a lot of things. And so um, today is going to be fun. <laughs> um, basically, when they gave me the topic of identity, I my first response was to laugh and say like, why out of every single person on staff or any person who could speak, would you ask me to talk about identity? Because I suck at identity. <laughs> um, but then I like realized the great irony of that statement and of that belief that in that moment of saying that, I was believing a lie. Um, I was not walking out in my identity as someone who the Holy Spirit speaks through. And um, I was letting my imperfection or struggle um, basically disable the Holy Spirit um, or like believing that it disabled the Holy Spirit from speaking through me. And so I decided actually agreeing to talk would be walking out and stepping out in my identity um, as a child of the king and a new creation. Um, and that imperfection and failure falls off of because we're not tied to that anymore, right? So here I am. Um, yeah, we're just going to pray really quickly. So. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come today. Fill this place, fill these hearts, Lord. Um, speak through me what you want each person to get out of this message. And tailor it to each person. Father, give us new revelation of your heart for us and your response to us and how you desire to interact with us. Thank you for so much grace that you allow us to function in and just um, the grace to be able to share, Lord. Amen. So, in light of what I just told you, we're going to talk about what happens when we fail in identity. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of appropriate, you know. Um, what happens, how does Jesus respond, and how do we respond when we fail to walk out the truth that de Jesus declares over us and who he says we are, and we instead walk out in believing and act out of the lies that the enemy um, comes against and tells us that we are. And I'm going to use fail a lot in this message, and I just wanted to preface it with, when I say fail, I simply mean what I said, just not acting out of truth that Jesus says about us, but rather believing and acting out of lies um, that we believe about ourselves. So anything that is not righteousness, son or daughter of the king, Holy Spirit inside of you, functioning through you, that is going to be some sort of failure of identity in some way. There's some disconnect there. So I'm not sure about you guys, but when I read the Bible, I see a lot of times where Jesus speaks identity, and Stockham goes through so much about each time that Jesus says, like, you are forgiven, get up, your, take your mat and walk, um, go, you are forgiven and go. That is so, that, that's identity. He's speaking righteousness and identity over them, and it's a huge, it, just like, it's miraculous and it's amazing. Um, but then they leave, the people leave. And honestly, most of them we never see again, right? Like healed, forgiven, walk away, 
I, new identity, new creation, because Jesus forgave them and never seen again, right? And I love when Jesus heals. I get so excited about the power and the love and our ability to do that as well. Um, but for me, sometimes I feel very dis- detached from that situation because, to be honest, I don't see myself in, that, in those characters as much anymore. Most of us here have had that situation. Like, don't get me wrong, I've had that moment where I didn't know my identity and Jesus said, you are forgiven, now go, right? That's salvation, that's where all of us have been. Um, And when we accept the new life the Father has for us in Christ, that moment that we were, were unaware and then Jesus forgives us and picks us up, that is that moment that we see throughout the Bible. But I don't really see that in my story right now. Josh, last week talked about stories. And so, like, my identity story, I don't really identify my story with that sinner who Jesus forgives anymore. Because in reality, I don't know if I'm supposed to. I'm not a sinner, right? I am forgiven. I don't have to be forgiven every single day. I'm already forgiven. I get to walk in my new creation. Um, but also, at the same time, I... I it's hard for me to identify with Jesus because he's a really good example of like walking out your identity. But honestly, it's like, okay, well, like you're doing it perfectly. So what am I supposed to do? So um, my identity story often looks like a little different from each of those somewhere in the middle, right? It's a day-to-day process. It's I'm a new creation. I know who I am. Um, I believe truth. I start to walk out truth. But then lies start to pop up, past struggles start to pop up, and then I act out of that lie. I believe those lies. And then I hurt people, I get hurt, or I simply just don't walk out the fullness of like, the life that I'm created to live, right, in identity. So that's more of my story, and it's kind of like a cycle, right? And so it's really hard for me to identify with those people in, that bi- in the Bible um, that I just spoke about. And the struggle that is really hard for me is like the but I know better, right? Like, I know my identity. I know who I am. I know I'm a new creation. I know better. So why am I still acting out of those lies? Why am I still believing those lies? And that's really a really hard struggle for me because then I go back to, like, oh, why am I back here? Why am I here in the same spot that I was, like, yesterday or three years ago where I'm still struggling with the same thing because I'm still not believing in my identity? And I'm not 100% sure but I would venture to say that we've probably all been there, right? Like we've all been there where it's like, I knew better, but I still did something or acted out of an identity that was not consistent with who Jesus says I am. And if you don't know your identity, if, you're not, if you haven't been there, if you don't know that you're a son or a daughter um, or what that means, like we'll talk about that. I didn't want to really go into that because we've had so many identity messages lately, but also take Sockham because there's a whole unit on it, so that's really exciting. So this is where we pick up today. Failing when we know our identity, right? Failing when we know better. That's really hard for me. It's kind of like when you tell a kid to do something, like don't run into the road, but then they still run after the ball because the ball goes in the road and they still run into the road, right? Um, it's just, it, they know better. You told them already. They already knew, but they still acted in a different way. So I sat down and asked the Lord to reveal to me my story in the Bible and who I can relate to. And it was a pretty hard pill to swallow because he was like, who do you most get frustrated with? 
And who do you just not really get? Who do you not really understand? So today, we're going to talk about Peter. Because I don't, I don't know, it's my opinion, it's my own thoughts. But, so don't freak out, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But I never really understood Peter, I never really got Peter. Um, growing up, there was always like so much hype around Peter. He was like so passionate, he was so good. And I just kind of was like, he's an idiot. Like, what are we talking about? Like, every time I read the Gospels, I was like, who slices someone's ear off and thinks that's like consistent with who Jesus is? Who is going to say like, oh, kids, move away. That's not who Je Jesus doesn't want to speak to you. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I just thought it was silly. I just thought he was like, didn't have deductive reasoning skills. Um, he just like didn't know how to read a room, right? Like, that's, that's where I was. That's where I am with Peter. Um, so I get really annoyed with Peter, and it just feels like he makes decisions that are confusing because he spends every moment with Jesus. However, there's some sort of disconnect where he acts differently than what he knows, right? And I thought that, like I said, lack of deductive reasoning, doesn't know how to read a room, really confusing. Um, but I actually don't really think that's fair because Peter wrote some of the Bible, like, He's the rock in which the church was built on, right? Like, so we got to give him some, a little credit. Um, and so how do you explain, how do you explain that disconnect? Where do you get the disconnection? Because it can't be relationship. It feels like relationship. It feels like he doesn't understand Jesus' heart. That's how I look at it, and that's why it doesn't make sense to me. But it can't be, because Peter spends so much time with Jesus. He spends every day with Jesus. He has to know Jesus. So if it's a failure of relationship, then I don't know how I'm ever supposed to act the way, like the act out of identity and act in victory in those moments because I don't get to spend really every waking moment with Jesus. I do, right? But I'm not here when he's here on earth. And so that was like kind of discouraging to me to think like if this is a relationship thing, then this feels unrealistic. But if we frame it differently, and kind of the option and perspective I raised to you today is to look at Peter's relationship and response to Jesus differently. If it's an identity situation, if it's a lack of identity, if it's like what I said before, believing lies and then acting out of those instead of acting out of what we know better, then it looks a little bit different and then it makes a little bit more sense in terms of He's not just an idiot, right? <laughs> um, so we're going to look at a couple examples. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read all of the scriptures, but let's just look at like a couple of things Peter does because I think they're silly, but um, also because I want to look a little bit at Jesus' reaction to them. So Matthew 26, 23 um, says, From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer, suffer many things from elders and chiefs, priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began rebuking him, saying, "Far be it from you, Lord! This shall never happen to you." But he turned to the, turned to, turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You're a hindrance, for you're not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man." Right? In John thirteen six through eight, when Simon Peter, when he came to Simon Peter, he said to him, "Lord, do you wash my feet?" Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have, not, you have no share with me. Then Peter, Simon Peter said to him, 
Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Also, he's like, Peter, did you not bathe? Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. And then um, Mark 14, it's when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we look at these responses and his lack, his failure, is not in relationship in those moments. We can kind of infer that it's of identity and not relationship. There's a moment in each of these like failures that Peter stops believing truth about who he is and starts believing something other than his identity. He's acting out of lies rather than out of truth. And so that's what I want to talk about today is what happens and how Jesus responds to him. So my next question is why is there still a breakdown in Peter's identi identity even though Jesus talks about it all the time? This is where my story feels parallel, right? I took Sockham. I, oh, a couple times, <laughs> um, read the, watched Putty Putman tell me all about identity. I read all about identity. Um, and time and time again, this is how Peter felt. Jesus said over and over, this is who you are, this is who I am, this is the kingdom, let's walk it out together, right? And I feel a lot of shame when I, to be honest, when I fail in my identity because I know better. And I know that I know that I know who I am and who Jesus says I am. But there's still some disconnect. And that's really hard for me because I can't even imagine how Peter felt when he did things that we thought were silly or stupid, when he failed in identity. He was failing in front of Jesus. Can you imagine like the shame, the anger, the frustration, right? Probably going on in his head. And he took Sockham every day, like every day. So not just once a week, for nine months, right? Um, so if it's any, any consolation, we're not alone in this, if you feel like I felt, right? We're not alone in failing. It's something that we understand that we will do. I think it is important to interject here and point out the need for grace in our lives, though. Jesus gave Peter so much grace in each of those examples that we just pointed out. So the lies and shame and the guilt, those are from the enemy, right? And so even after you already believed some sort of lie and then acted out of that, the enemy comes on with like a double portion of this is shame and this is guilt, and that's not of the Lord. And honestly, the more shame and guilt we allow, it, it, the further and the harder it is to let Jesus come and heal those situations and use them to upgrade us, right? So the need for grace is really important. I just wanted to, to point that out. But like I said, how does Jesus respond to our failure? I know how I respond. Shame, frustration, those kinds of things. We know how Peter responds, right? We see it in the Bible. But how does Jesus respond? Jesus, the, well, the exciting part of being able to see ourselves in Peter, which was hard for me, is also that we get to see ourselves in Jesus' response to Peter, right? Jesus sets an example for how we get to interact with him when he interacts with Peter. So that's what we're going to look at. So a really good example of that is Peter's, like, ultimate failure, guys. Like, obviously, denies Jesus three times. So we're going to look at how Jesus responds to this. I think it's a really cool example. I love how John laid it out. I love how um, we get to just see small intricate, intricates, intricacies 
Um, there's a lot of parallelism. It's really fun, um, the way that John writes it. But I'm not going to get into all of that. But So basically, in those moments when Jesus denied Christ, when he um, rejected Christ, he, that was a, it's important to remember that was a failure of identity, right? Somehow he said fear of man, f- insecurity, or just fear of anything else, those were more important, or he held those above Jesus on the cross, right? And so I want you to, to keep that perspective of this is an identity problem when we read this. So to read the um, denial of Jesus says, Simon Peter, I think it's John 18, Um, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Jesus, Peter, stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you're also one of, are you also not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. Now the servants and the officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Later in John 18, it says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One servant of the high priest, a relative of the man's whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Can you... Like, that's so passive-aggressive. Like, you freaking cut off my cousin's ear. Okay. Um, (laughs) Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Then Peter's response to, in his failure, right? So his response to that was literally going fishing, which is really important. But it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel? of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out to the boat that night, but caught nothing, which is very parallel to the way that they actually first encountered Jesus. So after that denial, Peter was overwhelmed in this moment of shame, guilt, or denial, whichever way he processed that. He defaulted to his own ways. He went back to his old habits, literally his own life. No matter how many times he heard Jesus speak, no matter how much, times he, how much time he spent with him, he felt shame and anger and defeat, right? He went fishing. He literally went back to his old life. Like, I can't stress that a month enough. I relate to this so much. To feeling shame over failure, going back, to your old habits, and then being like, well, why am I back here? You know, I don't know if any of anyone else has been there, but like, that's me a lot. Um, and understanding that you knew better, but like, why are you still back where you were? So Peter responds by going back fishing, and how does Jesus respond, right? Because that's our ultimate question. So the only account of this, like I said, is in John. Um, and John 21 picks up with the apostles on the boat. And when they see Jesus for the first time, Peter actually jumps out and swims to shore. So we're going to read that really quickly. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to him, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. 
So they cast it and now they were able, they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came onto the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but only about a hundred yards off. So this is important. I actually think that this is really important to our response, not just Jesus's response, right? Peter did not let shame overtake him and let himself sulk on the boat. He could have seen Jesus and been filled so much with shame that he just like sat there. Honestly, that might have been what I would have done. He let the hope, his foundation of relationship with Jesus was strong enough for his hope in who Jesus was to overpower his shame, right? So even when the enemy does attack us with shame and guilt and anger, our foundation of relationship, our understanding of the heart of Jesus and the heart of the Father needs to be strong enough for our hope in who he is and his desire to redeem and restore us to overpower that, right? And that's just, that's integral to our response. Relationship is foundational to identity. We know this when we talk about the triune gospel and how identity actually builds on relationship. So this is where we go back to that relationship. When identity fails, when we fail in identity, relationship has to be foundational enough for us to respond in hope, right? Because we know who Jesus is. We spend time with Jesus. This is actually what allowed for Jesus to bring healing, right? Peter's hope is what allowed for Jesus to go into that moment, which we're going to read next, and actually bring healing to that situation, to that failure. So Peter swims to shore. He's wet, probably a bit cold, and Jesus sets a fire for them. This is crucial to Jesus' response. So we're going to read that really quickly as well. Um, He says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out in bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, and it goes into a little bit. But Jesus built a charcoal fire. Peter's cold and wet. He just swam to shore. We're going to go back and just read one more thing about the account of like his original failure. So going back to um, John 18, if I can find it. It says, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with them standing and warming himself. Jesus addresses Peter's failure in a really interesting way. I think Peter walking up onto the shore probably knew exactly what um, Jesus was doing. It smelled like, it felt like exactly when he failed, right? So Jesus doesn't just like act like this didn't happen. And when he asks him three times, that's also him basically saying, this is what happened, right? But he dresses it in a really interesting way. And so he's literally setting up the moment, the memory in Peter's heart, in Peter's mind, that is, this is what I failed. And so I think that's really important to Jesus' response is that he does address it. He doesn't just like let things go, right? Even in each of the... um, passages we looked at before, Jesus did respond to Peter. He did say, like, okay, this was a problem. You were wrong, right? Um, So it's just something to remember. So moving on to John 21, 15 through 19, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, 
son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, do you love me? son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him the third time. Do you love me? He said, uh, he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then he said, follow me. I was praying about this, right, this whole response. And I think the three times in paralleling that to the three times Jesus or Peter denied Jesus is a, a way that Jesus addresses and just makes it really known but it's also a way of like inner healing. Um, and I felt like I wanted to focus a little bit more on what was happening and what Jesus was actually asking Peter than maybe just like the simple words that John uses. So how does he respond to his failure and how does he like actually redeem it, right? I think the second thing that Jesus does in response to our failure is he actually asks Peter of his identity and he does that to us as well. Um, he said, do you love me more than these, right? Actually, it was directed towards the fish. Um, the do you love me more than these was directed towards the fish. So if we keep in mind that this moment is more identity-driven than relational-driven, right? He's not asking, do you love me? Jesus knows Peter loves him. Peter knows Jesus loves him, right? They know each other. He's actually... He's not asking if Peter loves him because he needs it. He's asking, are you a lover of me? Are you a new creation? Are you a lover of me more than you are a fisherman? Are you, are you a new creation rather than your old life, right? It's an identity statement. It's, it's, not just, um, it's not just like a statement of like, oh, do you love me? It's who are you, Peter? Who are you? He's also restoring Peter's identity that he claimed for himself when he was walking in victory. This is also important. Peter used to identify so passionately as the one who loved Jesus. He would always say, like, when every, all the apostles leave, I will stand by Jesus. Like, no matter what, I will stand by Jesus, right? Like, that's who I identified with in victory, and that was a part of him that was, like, very much so who God created him to be. However, he failed in that. Like, at the moment of, like, being able to walk out who he was, he failed, and so Jesus is saying, like, do you love me more than these? Like, are you a passionate lover of me? Is that he's restoring him in that identity that Peter had claimed for himself. He was asking him to speak truth, speak the truth that he had failed to carry out. This point is important, that Jesus does not declare identity himself over Peter. I think that that's important. But Peter has to declare his own identity. See, Jesus asks, Jesus prompts. But how many times have I heard Putty Putman say, this is your identity, right? Or like Josh or Lynn or John or um, Parker just say like, this is who you are. And Jesus say, this is who you are. And they declare it over you and that's powerful. But also in that moment, Peter knew those things. However, he didn't believe them himself. Therefore, he didn't walk them out. 
or maybe he did believe them, but he like there was a disconnect from the mind and like the spirit belief. So he asked Peter. It goes back to that knowing better, like I just said. Peter would be able to know in his mind. Say like say Jesus said, Peter, you're a lover of me, you're not a fisherman, this is who you are. And Peter was like, okay. How easy it, would it be? How easy it, has it been for us to stand in that moment and be like, okay, that's who I am, right? And not really believe it in our soul, in our gut, in our spirit, and like, you know, and then it happens again because we didn't really understand the reality of it to the point where it just didn't, it didn't influence our actions enough, right? I think it's really important that he asked him because Peter has to stand there in front of the man he denied, in front of the man he rejected. And Jesus says, who are you? And he has to say, Lord, this is who I am. Could you imagine like staring into Jesus' eyes and having to say your identity to him? You have to believe that. That has to, that takes courage. That takes a gut belief, a spirit belief. That does, you can't just fake that. You wouldn't be able to just like lie what you actually believe to Jesus' eyes, right? So I think it's really important that Jesus allows us and prompts us to actually declare our own identity in these situations and restore our identity ourselves because it's really important to be able to, for it to like not happen again or for us to actually really believe it in our soul. The last thing he, Jesus does is declare Peter's destiny, right? He said, go feed my sheep. Um, he doesn't just use this moment to restore Peter's identity in the moment of failure, right? He doesn't just say like, okay, let's patch these holes. Let's get back to where we are. He uses it as a, this is a launch pad for your destiny. We're not only going to restore this moment. We're going to use it to launch you into who you've been created to be and what you've been created to do. The moment is no longer a failure in Peter's mind. It's actually when he believed his identity and destiny, right? That moment, that charcoal fire now, that memory is when Jesus declared destiny over him rather than just him failing, right? So I think the third thing that Jesus does is declare destiny over us. This is like the whole philosophy in the, in the scripture. He works all things together for good. Right? He uses failure not just as, a, he doesn't just redeem, right? He like fully restores and wants to upgrade us in that failure. He, he, d he wants to turn it for good. And sometimes it's hard to believe, and, but I think it's really important. And I'm going to talk about our response later, but we really have to accept that. And like, we really have to believe when Jesus says, like, this is your destiny, go do it. Like, I'm upgrading you. We have to like step up to that challenge, right? Yeah. Peter had to actually go feed the sheep. <laughs> Um, I also think it's important that Jesus doesn't dwell in this moment in his response to Peter's failure. He doesn't just say, like, okay, let's just patch these holes. We're just going to, like, everything's clear slate, you know, like, you're forgiven. What you did, your failure, it's, like, you know, up to par now. We don't have to worry about it. He moves forward and says, like, let's move on to the future. This is your destiny. I think that's really important for us, especially to know that Jesus doesn't focus and doesn't just stay in her place of, like, he doesn't just stay at the charcoal fire and just, like, sit there with us. He says, no, like, let's go do your destiny, right? Moving forward, it's really important to understand that and, like, the, the grace aspect as well. So 
Jesus, in this moment, his response, sets up exactly what we do in inner healing. He addresses the failure. He asks him his identity, prompts him to declare his own identity, and then he declares his destiny. So what does this mean for us? I mean, like, it's really cool to understand Jesus' response. Um, I thought it was really helpful for me to understand exactly how Jesus responds, but also at the same time, well, how does this mean, how does my response interact with Jesus' response, right? So I'm going to talk about our response next. Um, how does this, like, affect when I'm, like, hanging out with my friends? You know, I believe a lie. I become really insecure. Maybe I say something hurtful, hurtful or take a joke too far. Like, what does this mean for me? Like, what, does Jesus do this to me every time? Does he, like, actually make a fire, you know? Um, but through our response, we allow Jesus to heal, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Our first, one of the things that I, I, we already talked about this, but Peter's response of hope, and he moves towards healing. He jumps out of the boat. He makes himself vulnerable, and he allows Jesus to, like, create that fire for him to take him back to that spot. That's, like, our first response. Um, that's really integral, is to be able to put our hope in Jesus and hope in our relationship with Jesus and letting him get to that place of healing. So that's our first one. And it may not feel very hard, like, you know, like what I just said, like when you're just like, oh, I took a joke too far because I'm insecure. Like, you know, it's probably not hard to be like, oh, I have to step over my shame and allow Jesus to heal this, you know. But if you deny Jesus three times or if you've been sitting in lies for years, to be able to say, no, my hope is in you, Lord. I know who you are. I know you want to heal me. That is, like, hard. And so that's where the relationship really comes into play. Is we have to have that to, like, fa- have a foundation to move forward, to let Jesus in. Secondly, we have owning our identity, right? Peter does this, but he also had to do this, right? Jesus prompts him, but Peter had to look him in the eyes and say, this is who I am. I think that's really important for us because you have to, like, you can no longer be a victim when you stare Jesus in the face and declare your identity. You can no longer be a victim to the lies that you believed before, right? You can no longer be a victim to shame or anger or guilt. Only victors declare truth. Like, you, it's victim mentality is not compatible with declaring your identity and your truth, right? When I let myself believe lies about my identity, maybe I'm not worthy of leading. Maybe I'm not capable to like even come up here and speak, right? Those lies, things like that. The Holy Spirit maybe can move through other people but not me. Things that may, lies that you might just like let in sometimes. If you were to look into Jesus' eyes and combat those and say, no, this is who I am, Lord, you made me worthy. That's standing in victory, and that's no longer victim mentality, right? We, that has to be, you have to stand in the victory. You have to understand that Christ died for you to be able to say that I am worthy, I am righteous, I am a son, I am a daughter. So that's the second part, obviously, is just owning our own identity, and it's very hard. But I think one of the things I want to like pray about potentially in ministry time is just understanding like we can no longer be victims. And this is a really hard part is to like actually be like overcome that. But I think when you take the perspective that, G- that Peter had to take, looking into Jesus' eyes and declaring your identity, not to yourself, not to cope, but to Jesus, that's 
hard, and that is also really motivating to be able to do. And like I said before, it really requires you to not just tell yourself something to cope and not actually believe it in your spirit, but also it requires you to actually believe it because I can't look at Jesus in his eyes, in his face, and tell him a lie, <laughs> that I believe a lie, right? Um, the third thing is our destiny. We have to accept the destiny. I already said this before, but Peter accepted. He accepted the challenge. He had to go feed the sheep. And I think that this is one of the biggest things is like moving forward. Like I said, Jesus wants to move forward. Um, he forgives. He redeems. He heals. He even uses the moment of failure to teach us and to declare destiny over who we are. However, it's our responsibility to accept it. And I think it's really cool that we get to have kind of a back and forth of like, how does Jesus respond? And then how do we respond to Jesus? Or how do we respond to the situation that allows Jesus to respond? I think that's really cool. Because it's not just, okay, you didn't fail, we'll just brush it off and keep going. It's an interaction with the Lord that allows us for upgrade. And that's what accepting our destiny is. And it is saying, I want to be upgraded in this moment, right? If I fail in my identity, in like a relational context, right? And maybe I like pull away because I'm scared or maybe I'm in fear. And so I like um, detach from a relationship, right? And I just like arm's length, I'm not, I don't want intimacy or something like that, right? If Jesus, if we allow Jesus to go back and declare a destiny, I'm sure his, his declaration of destiny would be you are relational, right? We have to declare that. But you love, now go love, right? Go love, go love intimately. And we have to respond to that and say, okay, that's the upgrade that I want. Which um, Graham Cook often talks about like where we fail is usually where Jesus wants us to upgrade. So that's kind of that same context, concept. But that's really like our final response is being able to accept that. And it's not like none of these things are really easy to do, but I think learning and, and getting into a habit of doing them and recognizing them is really important. So in conclusion, our identity story is going to include failure, right? We don't get to just like leave and never come back from like the Bible story, right? We don't just get to be the person who like picks up their mat, walks away and like is never seen again, right? I mean, that guy probably had to still do these things. We just don't get to see it. But it's going to include failure, much like Peter's. However, Jesus desires for us to learn how to respond to failure and learn how he responds to failure. Not in shame or anger or guilt, but with him. He, re he wants to redeem failures and upgrade us in the process. This is like really easy for me to say but it's really hard to walk out, so I just want to acknowledge that, that like, it's, it's not easy, and that's why I'm here talking about it, right? We have to take ownership of this process as well. It's a relational thing, right? Jesus doesn't just declare our identity and keep moving. He asks us. We have to interact with him. We have to talk to him about it because it's about our spirit understanding. It's about us upgrading, right? It's about us being able to walk in identity. But we also have to understand the importance of grace through it, like I said before. 
Grace is important. Peter failed a lot. He was still like the rock in which Jesus built his church. He still like did amazing things, even though sometimes he looked like an idiot. And so even so, though sometimes I look like an idiot, and I do things, and I think they're silly, or I say something, and I think it's silly, and it was so out of insecurity, like, we have to be able to give ourselves grace, because shame and guilt don't have any place in the kingdom. But also, when you do experience shame and guilt of failure, right, that doesn't discount you. Like, Peter was shameful. He did go back. He went back. He, like, he didn't just like cut the process off and say, okay, Jesus, now I'm ready to like heal. He went all the way back to his old life. He was there, he was sitting, he was sulking in his shame. So doing that, shame and guilt doesn't discount you from Jesus being able to heal you, right? But we must like build a relationship and have hope in the Father's heart and Jesus's heart and who he is and his desire to heal and his desire to restore. We're not victims to a cycle of failure and defeat. I think that's one of the hardest parts, especially for me, is feeling like I'm a victim of, of just like a cycle of failure and defeat, right? We get to cut that off, right? Like I said, we don't need shame. We don't have to have shame. We don't have to accept shame. Sometimes we do, but Jesus still wants to upgrade us even after that. We're victories with Christ, and every failure is an opportunity to grow in relationship and upgrade our own perspective, right? The upgrade isn't just some sort of, like, mythical, like, thing that Jesus is like, I'm going to give you, like, this upgrade, but it's over here, so, like, you're just going to carry this with you. No, it's like a perspective upgrade. It's a worldview upgrade, right? Peter had to change his worldview and upgrade into being like, oh, I'm going to go feed sheep. I'm a shepherd. This is who I am, right? So it's something that Jesus wants to, like, actually apply to our lives. It's not just, like, some random thing out there. And we also just need to let the Lord speak into our destiny. Sometimes that's really hard to be able to, like, to let Jesus say, like, okay, now go do this, you know? So that's really, like, all I have for you guys today. I think that one of the biggest things takeaways from this, right, is understanding how we get to respond and understanding that failure doesn't discount us, right? But also at the same time, we can't just ignore them because Jesus doesn't, and Jesus doesn't want to. And I think one of the hardest things is like jumping off the boat and swimming towards Jesus and letting him make that fire, letting him take you back to that place, letting inner healing happen, right, for those big moments especially. And that's been really hard for me as well. Like, inner healing is scary. Very scary. <laughs> it's scary to let Jesus take you. Like, how scared do you think Peter was when he smelled the charcoal? Like, when he knew, he saw that fire and he was like, oh my goodness, I'm here. Like, Jesus, we're doing this. He's taking me back to that place. It said he was grieved on the third, right? The third, do you, Peter, do you love me? Because he realized, like, this is it. Like, I have to do this. But this is scary because it's, full of shame and it's very like charged with guilt and the enemy wants to do that but it doesn't have to be that way but I think understanding the balance of not having to be that way but also experiencing that doesn't discount you is really important and all in all it's just like letting Jesus in it's just saying Lord what do you want to do with this situation right 
and allowing ourselves to go there because Jesus will guide you and our response is like he prompted Peter. Our response doesn't have to be perfect as well. Peter's response wasn't perfect. He like right afterwards asked like, okay, but how's John gonna die? Cause like, you know, right? <laughs> so there's still, <laughs> there's still like, there's, it's never, it's not gonna be like, it's not gonna be like this whole, it doesn't have to be perfection. It's, it can be like messy and our response can be messy and we don't always have to respond perfectly, but just allowing Jesus to be in that moment with you and guide your response and also respond to you is really the key. So the worship team can go ahead and come back up. Thank you.